Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to be digging down a little bit uh, more into this series, Twas the Nightmare Before Christmas. And we're looking at all the things that can go wrong. And one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with, and we're going to try to hopefully um, cover a little bit today, is uh, this whole idea of loneliness in Christmas. We're going to talk about overcoming loneliness. Now, for some people, that's a chronic thing. You're, you're, you feel lonely all the time. For some of us, we, we haven't experienced it a lot. I know for me, I, I don't know whether it's just because I tend to be more introverted, so I don't notice it as much, or maybe I've just surrounded myself with a lot of family and friends, but there have been very few times in my life that I've actually felt lonely, but there has been a couple of times, and I can tell you in, during those times that I, I don't want to experience that, and so if you are somebody that has experienced or is experiencing that, my heart goes out to you. But the times that I have is very, very rare, but one of those times that really sticks in my mind was a story, I've shared this before, but I was, I was actually a, a little boy, I was, I was in third grade, and I was, we're just ending the school year, going into the summer. And a friend of mine, I lived in South Florida, a friend of mine named Daryl uh, told me right before school got out that he was going to summer camp that summer and invited me to go. And I said, what's summer camp? What do you do at summer camp? And he said, oh, it's cool, because it was out in the Everglades. It was out west of town in the Everglades. They had this camp, and he said, it's really great. You, you get to do all kinds of cool things. You go on airboats and swamp buggies, and there's alligators and snakes, and you shoot bows. And I'm like, I'm in. How do I sign up for this? And he said, well, see if your parents will let you go. So I remember going home, and I had the brochure, and I, and I presented it to my parents, and I said, I want to go to summer camp. They're like, I don't, I don't know if you're ready for this. You've never really been away for an extended period of time, but it was like a week. Um, and I thought, oh, so I begged them and they finally said, okay. And so I remember the day that I got out to camp, it was like the orientation, all the parents are there dropping off their kids and, uh, all these parents are there, all these kids are there. And my friend Daryl was there and he had, they had gotten there before we had, and they got assigned their cabin. And, um, and then we got, I got assigned a separate cabin. Now, when I say cabin, you have to understand this was not the cabin like you're thinking. This didn't resemble a cabin. This was more of a pole barn okay, where you had a roof and you had, um, you, you didn't have sides, but they were all on these concrete slabs about 12 inches thick because you had to get out of the swamp water, you know, and they, so they're mounted to, like all of these big concrete slabs with, with all these cots with the mosquito nets on them. And there was probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 cots in each of these slabs. And they were scattered out. These slabs were scattered out all over several acres. And, um, so Daryl, he gets his assignment over here, and then they give me mine over here, and I'm like, wait a second, um, I'm supposed to be hanging out with Daryl, my friend Daryl, I don't know anybody else here. So they, they said, well, it's too late, you, we've already assigned these things, you're going to have to go to the other cabin. And so here I am, never been away from home, um, and I don't know anybody there, I'm, I'm going over to this concrete slab with a roof over it, and and I look in there, and, and I know I'm in trouble, because all the kids over here, I don't know any of them, they're all older than me. It was a rough-looking crowd. I mean, they're all like, they're smoking. They got tattoos, like gang signs and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, when I get into it, because they're like all from the hood, you know? And I, I was from the hood, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You know, like, it was like, I, I didn't relate to them at all. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And I get there, and I'm carrying my little suitcase. I've got this little blue, I can still picture it, this blue, blue vinyl suitcase. 
I'm this sheltered nine-year-old kid. I'm coming up there to this thing, and I'm looking at all these kids. They're like, you know, and um, there's no, their only cot is left is in the front right corner, and it's the one with the mosquito net has got holes all in it. And this is not good because, you know, you're in the Everglades. So I go there, I get my suitcase, and uh, as soon as I get my suitcase, getting ready to get in my cot, the, the counselor says, okay, we're going to go, everybody get their bathing suits, we're going to swim in. I'm like, okay. So I got my, I got my, the suitcase, I put it on my cot, it's in the front corner, right? And I open it up. And when I do, it's, it's top heavy, and it just tumbles over, hits the side of the concrete, lands like face down in the swamp water. This is my, I've been there five minutes and my life has fallen apart, right? So I'm going, oh man, this is bad. But I'm really shy. And for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't tell somebody what had happened or why I didn't take them everything and dry it out. I just stuffed it all back in a suitcase and closed it. And within about three seconds, everything had molded. Because it's, it's, a, it's 95 degrees, it's 100% humidity, it's swamp water, it's South Florida. And, and so I, I just stuffed everything in there. Well, Later, when I opened that suitcase, the stench almost knocked me down. It was just terrible. It just smelled so bad. It was all moldy. And uh, everywhere I went, like, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Nobody wanted to be around me. Everybody's getting around. <laughs> and the kids were making fun of me because I smelled. I, and my clothes stunk so bad. It was just terrible. I did this for all week. It was the summer camp from hell, I'm telling you. I was just like, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> and I was so lonely. I was just like, I was all, I never saw Daryl the whole week. I never even saw the guy. It was the worst week of my life, and I was so homesick. I was so lonely, and I'm thinking, man, I, don't, I saw my parents. When they came and picked me up, I never missed my parents so much. I never was so happy to go home, and I, and I never wanted to go back to camp. I'll just tell you that. But there, that experience was etched into me, this idea of being alone. And I know for a lot of you, that's something you experience a lot. And Christmas is just elevated. You know, in 2020, when, when COVID came, you remember that? I mean, we think loneliness really just started then. It's been around forever, but it just kind of hit a level that we've never seen in 2020. Because you remember that what they told us, they said, all right, just everybody lay low for a while. We're going to flatten a curve. Remember that? Two weeks, flatten a curve. Two weeks turned into two years, didn't it? And it was like, we had to social, you couldn't come within six feet of me. I couldn't come six feet of you. We had to go in isolation. We, had a, we couldn't have church services. People are in, you know, getting sick and in the hospital. Their loved ones can't even see them. Lonely. I remember it, it, within a, about a month of that, you know, I'm feeling the effects of it. As an introvert, I'm feeling the effects of this thing. I remember I'm missing my grandkids so much that my, we, we finally, we're trying to be responsible, right? We're trying to do what everybody told us to do and that was going to, you know, take care of things. And so finally my my son-in-law and my daughter, they drive with my four of my grandkids come over and they're in their minivan and they roll down the windows. They don't even get out. Liz and I are on the sidewalk sitting down. We're, we're, talk, we're trying to maintain our distance. Like, this is crazy. And I think now we look at it a couple years into this thing as we realize it, it hasn't gotten any better. It's probably gotten worse. It's a real issue. And here's the thing that I figured out about loneliness we think loneliness is a physical issue. Like, I'm in proximity of somebody, so I'm not lonely. But that's not true, right? It's not, loneliness is not about people on deserted islands. That's, that's, those aren't the people who are lonely. I'm sure they're lonely. But people are lonely because it's, it's an emotional issue. 
It's a relational issue. It's not a physical issue. People in the middle of New York City, surrounded by a million people, they're lonely. So it has nothing really to do with the physical proximity of others. It has everything to do with relational uh, closeness and intimacy with others and community with others. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today as we look at a Christmas story from Matthew's point of view. Last week, we looked at the Christmas story from Luke. Today, from Matthew, what we're going to see is that, you know, we talked about Mary and Joseph, and I really believe that the loneliness for those two must have been just astronomical. And so we're going to look at that story. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. We're not going to read the whole story, but just want to look through 18 through 25. And here's what it says. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through, the, through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Today, I want to just kind of dig into this story a little bit from their perspective, and then Hopefully, this whole series is designed to be super practical because um, these are real issues. And although we may not all struggle with, like last week we talked about stress, we might not all struggle with stress during Christmas, but it's real and it's out there and a lot of people do. Today, loneliness. And you may be somebody like me and maybe you haven't experienced it a lot, so this first point is a reminder for everybody, but especially for us, and that is this. Loneliness is a very real issue. It's a very real issue. It's, it's, it would be easy to say, I don't have loneliness, or I'm not lonely in this Christmas, so therefore, probably nobody else is lonely. But that wouldn't be accurate. We know that, right? Because there are a lot of people around us that are struggling. If we open our eyes, we'll see those things. It's a real issue, and it's been a real issue forever. It's so much of an issue in our country that in 2017, before COVID, 2017, the U.S. Surgeon General declared that America had a loneliness epidemic. A loneliness epidemic before the pandemic that we went through. Here's what he said about it. He said the, the country has experienced a loneliness epidemic epidemic driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology to all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. It takes time to be in a relationship. It's messy at times, but it's worth it. New York Times did an article and they talked about the risk, the physical risk of loneliness and how that affects us in ways that don't even seem to make sense. And they said that things like heart disease, cancer, stroke, hypertension, dementia, premature death are all linked 
to loneliness in many people. In a lab experiment, they found that lonely people were, who were exposed to a cold virus were more likely to develop symptoms than people who were not lonely. A professor at Brigham Young University uh, compared the risk and, and effects of loneliness physically. Um, he said people who were lonely, isolated, or had weak social networks had the same physical issues that people who smoke 15 cigarettes a day suffer. Loneliness. The New York Times story went on to say this, because I think for a lot of us, what we think when we think loneliness, we think, well, that's like for really old people, which is true, right? Because older people, like their spouses die or their friends die or they're in a, a, a nursing home. And so they, they get very lonely. And that makes sense. But it's not just an issue for the, for, for the elderly. Here's what, here's what that story went on to say. It said there's this paradox that people are more connected now than ever, right? We know that through phones, social media, Zoom, such things like that. Said yet loneliness continues to rise among the most digitally connected, which would be teenagers and young adults, loneliness nearly doubled in prevalence between 2012 and 2018, which coincided with the explosion of social media. It's almost, it is a paradox, isn't it? That we, that we, that we have so much access to one another through so these social media and social interactions that we can go online and we can go to Facebook. I got, you know, a thousand friends on Facebook. I got a million followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever you got, and yet we're lonely. Social media does, cannot replace, or social or online cannot, never replace this, this one-on-one personal side of relationships that God designed us to have. One of the things that, one of the downsides from a church standpoint back in 2020, remember when we, we had to shut down, they said, you can't do church. And we did it as long as we, as, you know, as we felt like we should. And then we started having services again because everybody said, man, we gotta, we gotta, we, we're dying. We need to have services. And we did. But during that time, a lot of us developed these, these I would call them bad habits because we were forced to, right? We had, we had, the only way we could watch services were online. And so we did our services. We came and taped our services and we, we played them online and, um, and it worked for that time for what we had to do it, but it was never meant to replace what we're doing here in, in this personal interaction. And for some though, they never got back into church. They, they watch online. And if you're watching online, I'm thankful you're watching online, but let me just tell you that it's not, it's not the same. Like when it was going on, look, it was very convenient to just roll out of bed in, in your pajamas and watch a service. Really nice. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to drive anywhere. Just, just good. And, 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 you know, online services are great when you're on vacation or you're sick or whatever. That, that's good. But it was never meant to replace this because there's still going to be this inherent sense that I need community. I need relationships. That's the way that God made us. And that's, we feel that void. We all do, whether we admit it or not. And so when we look at Christmas time, we realize that this is a heightened time of loneliness. This is a leading time of depression and suicide because it kind of comes to a climax at this time. And I was thinking, what are some of the reasons that people might be lonely at Christmas? That other times they might not be. Well, at Christmas, I think when you think about Christmas, for a lot of people this year, they're, they're going to be lonely because they're going to, for the, this might be the first year that they've lost that loved one. And everybody's going to be sitting around that, that Christmas dinner table. And that chair is going to be empty this year. 
And the thought of that is enough to just, just create this sense of, man, this is not going to be the same. And it gives us this sense of loneliness. Or maybe you, you've just moved to the area or you're new in an area. And you haven't developed that circle of friends yet. And your family are in other parts of the country and you're thinking, man, it's just going to be... And, and so that idea, I'm lonely. Or maybe you got divorced and, and you know, the kids are... They're going to be with your former spouse this Christmas, and you're going to be all alone. So there's a variety of reasons people are lonely, but Christmas definitely brings it out. And I think if we're, if we're just honest with this thing, we look at this and go, well, you know what? We aren't the first people to experience this. When I think of the Christmas story that we just looked at, and we talked about the stress that Mary and Joseph were under last week, but think of the loneliness, especially for Mary. You know, Mary, here, here, let's go back to the story. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So, so put yourself in that situation for a minute, okay? So Mary is there. She's been visited by Gabriel, the angel, who announces that she's been chosen by God to bear the Christ child. And she's like, how can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and, and you'll conceive this child. And, and so she's excited and she doesn't understand it, but she's like, okay, if that's what God wants, I'm in. So she goes and tells Joseph, right? Because she's engaged to him. And that conversation had to be extremely awkward. And she comes to Joseph and says, hey, I, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. And then she's got to give the details of the story, how this angel visited her and told her this news, and she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And, you know, Joseph, you know the response because it just told us. He did not believe her at first because he was going to divorce her. He was going to break off the engagement. So... He wants, I'm sure he loves her, but this story's so bizarre. He's like, what, what am I going to do? I mean, I, can you imagine her loneliness? Like the person she loves, she's hoping, you know, this is unbelievable, I know, but would you believe? And he's like, look, let's, let's just call it quits. You know, I know you made some mistakes or whatever, but I'm, I'm not going to trash your name. I'm not going to do this quietly. And nobody will know. And that was his plan, right? That's what the Bible says. But then an angel visits him and says, no, she's telling you the truth and you need to, you need to go ahead with this. And he's like, okay, now he believes it. But, but there's that, it had to been like this really intense amount of loneliness when she's thinking, man, nobody believes this story. Even Joseph doesn't believe it. And then finally he does. And I'm sure there's like, okay, at least I've got somebody that's on my side and somebody that believes in me, somebody that knows I'm still trying to do the right things. But then they, together as a couple, can you imagine how they felt? And now they got to tell their parents, you know, that's a pretty wild story. If you're a parent, can you imagine your kids coming and telling you something like this? Like, now what do you think? Uh, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, parents probably didn't believe it. I bet the townspeople had a, a heyday with that gossip, don't you? That's juicy right there. And in that day and age, that was like a taboo. Like, you better not. So they live with that. 
You know what I love about the Word of God is when we, when we kind of, it, it's easy to read those stories, but when you start putting yourself in that position, doesn't it feel different? So there they go, together, probably the only people on the planet other than God that believes this story, feeling scared to death and lonely. And then what we read last week, here they go. You can almost picture this. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of, uh, of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And so they get, you know, they, 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 they move on this journey alone, right? Because they've got to go register for the census. And alone they travel. A pregnant teenager and her, and her fiancé. Loneliness is real. And it's real for, evil for people who follow God, and that's really the point. You know, it, just because you're a follower of Jesus it doesn't mean you're not going to experience stress or loneliness or all these. That's, that's part of this, this emotion, the human emotions that we have. And it's, and it's not... In the Scripture, there's a lot of these kind of stories. You look at Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Man, a man of God who struggled with depression and loneliness. Coming off the greatest victory... This prophet of God had just defeated the prophets of Baal in the showdown. It was awesome. And then he's, his life is threatened by the queen. He runs for his life, and he's totally depressed, and he's in fear, and he has this conversation with God in his depression. He wants to die. He's like, just let me die. Nope. And here's what he said. There's nobody else but me. That's what he, I'm, I'm alone, like nobody else. And God reminds him, no, you're not alone. You need to get up and move on and, you know. Then think about David, who became the king. But before he was the king, there's a king named Saul. Saul is jealous of David. He wants to kill him. David goes on a run, and he's hiding alone. Read some of the Psalms. He's alone. He's in caves. He's running for his life. He's here. He's there. He's, just, he's doing whatever he can so that he doesn't die. And he feels really alone. Jesus experienced loneliness. He's got 12 guys who he's poured his life into for three years during his ministry here on earth. These are his best friends. One of them, Judas, is actually the guy that betrays him. The other guys who promised they would never leave him, and Peter even said, I'll die for you if I have to, on his, in the moment of truth, they all bail out and leave him there alone. And he goes to a cross and they crucify him. And during that time, all of our sins he carries. And the father has to look away. And Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loneliness. It's real. And if you're a person who's experienced loneliness, you might go, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? Well, let me just give you something practical. And I, I, don't, I don't almost, I say this almost like this is like this real simple answer, just lonely. Like, okay, if you're lonely, just do this. It doesn't work that way. I understand it, but let me just give you a suggestion. Number two, be proactive by building relationships. 
Take the initiative. Like, there's this, you know what, here's what I've been told. That there's this vicious cycle. This is what happens to people. And this is why there's no easy answer. People get lonely. Then they get depressed. And when you get depressed, the, 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 the antidote to all of that is to build, have relationships, right? But because you're depressed, you don't even feel like, like I got the energy to try to, to develop relationships. Like I don't even want to do that. And so what we do is we isolate, which doesn't help. It actually creates more loneliness, which creates more depression, which creates more loneliness, which creates more depression. Isolation is not the answer. You've got you've to get out there. Some of, and this, you know, for the Christian... The Christian life was never meant to do alone. Never was that the way God designed us as believers. And even if you're in church, a lot of times people come in church and they, they're, they're leery about relationships. Maybe they've been burned in the past, whatever, but they, they just kind of lay back. And I want to challenge you if you're one of those people that, you know, you know who you are. Look, if you're new and you, and you want to stay anonymous, I get that. But at some point, you know, you got, you got to show up on the radar screen. You got to come out of the shadows. You got to know and be known. At some point, you got to stop being anonymous because that doesn't help in building this thing called community, which God has created us to be in. So there are ways that you know, we, Pastor Blaine talked about it a minute ago. He said, We've got our new session of our connect groups are starting up on January 15th, and these are great, you know, all kinds of ways to get connected. We have serve opportunities where you kind of hang out with a lot of people and you get to know people. Just be proactive. Do this, you know, just kind of do whatever it takes. Instead of just showing up late and leaving early so that nobody sees you, just hang out a little bit. Get to know a few folks. It'll change your life. In Acts chapter 2, this is the formation of the new church. Now, I want you to think about something. At this point, there are only... 3,000 Christians in the world, okay? This is brand new Christianity. It is just, the Holy Spirit's come. It's just, this is Acts chapter 2. They're, they're the new church. And you got to believe that they felt pretty lonely because these people were former Jews who have now become Jesus followers and they've been kind of, you know, they're looked at differently now by their fellow Jews and it's just them. And here's what it says. It says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Like they are... Do, they, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, look, we're going to do life together because we, we're not meant to do it alone. So you build relationships. Well, I want to show you in Scripture the difference before I really finish up. And that in, in Scripture, we've got a really good illustration of two contrasting stories of the power of relationships in regard to loneliness. Two different men, similar situations in some ways, but vastly different in others. One of those stories we read about in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, there is a guy who has been 
paralyzed for 38 years. And in this story, he sits by the, what's called the Pool of Bethesda. And as, the, as, as kind of the, the rumor has it, that if you get in the water, the angels stir up the water. And if you get in there first, you can get healed. And this guy's been laying there for a long time. 38 years, he's been paralyzed. And Jesus comes into town. And I believe this is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Jesus sees the man laying there. And he says to him, would you like to get well? And the man says, listen, here's what he says. I have no one to put me in the water. He's all alone. Sad, right? He's been there 38 years. We don't know how long he's been there, but he's been paralyzed for 38 years. He has no one. There's nobody in his life. He is totally alone in that situation and he can't get well. Now, let me contrast with the story in Mark chapter two. There's a guy who's also paralyzed but this guy's got friends. He's got relationships. He's not all alone. There's, this guy is, is, is on his mat and his, he's got four friends that we know of, probably got more than that, but there are four friends that are willing to get involved in his life. They hear that Jesus is down doing healings and the friends pick him up, each grab a corner of the mat and they carry him to Jesus. The place is so crowded where Jesus is, they can't get him to Jesus. So they get creative. They go on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof, they lower him down and Jesus heals the man and forgives his sins. That's the difference of having people in your life. We all have a choice. I can try to do it solo or I can realize the power of a team. We're better together. We're meant for community. That's how way God created us. So let me give you a practical step. Be proactive. Don't wait for somebody to tap on your shoulder and say, hey, it's Christmas. Why don't you come out and hang with me? Take the initiative. You be the one. Maybe you, maybe you're, maybe you're new in town. Maybe you're, you're lonely, whatever. Why don't you invite somebody to spend Christmas with you? Maybe you're here and you've got plenty of family and friends and you know you're not going to be lonely, but you know you've also got an extra seat or two at the table. Maybe you can look for somebody who is lonely. Maybe they're new in town. Maybe someone they loved has passed away and they're going to have to be alone, whatever. Would you be the person? See, we can make a difference if we allow ourselves to. The physical loneliness, the emotional loneliness, the relational loneliness is real. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, there's no substitute when it comes to really who is the one who's going to be there all the time, and that's Jesus. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the Christmas story, here's what it says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? What's it mean? God is with us. You'll give birth to a son, and you'll name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the story of the Christmas story, isn't it? That we don't have to be alone. That God sent his son because he loves us so much and he came 
born of a virgin, born in a manger in Bethlehem, but he lived the perfect life on earth, went to a cross, died on that cross for our sins. And here's the other part. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you. God is with you always. So if he, today, if you're one of those people who maybe struggles with that chronic loneliness, or maybe it just flares up on these holidays, even if you are sitting down at Christmas dinner all alone, you are not all alone because of Emmanuel. God is with us. Find somebody this year. Invite them to your house. Or maybe you be, take the initiative and say, look, I know I'm going to be alone. I'm going to invite somebody to come over to my house. It's tough. And these things are real. And so I don't ever want to discount it. If you're struggling with that or if you just need somebody to talk to, or you need a pastor to pray with, let us know. We'll be happy to do whatever we can do on our end. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you have created us for this need for community with one another. And ultimately, that is so important. But we were created for you first and foremost, for your presence in our life, for the relationship that we can have with you. God, I know there are so many people. And this is a very real issue for so many people that are going to be, even if they're not physically alone, they're going to be lonely this year. Someone they loved have died or some other circumstance in their life. But I pray that, God, they would sense your presence every time they start feeling lonely. They would be reminded by your Holy Spirit that you're there and you will never leave nor forsake them. God, I pray for those who don't even have a relationship with you today. And they're trying to do life alone in a way. But that today, through your Holy Spirit's power in their life, that they recognize, you know what? I need Jesus. I'm a person who has sinned against God and others, and I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. And if that describes you today, why don't you just place your faith in Christ and follow him and maybe just offer a prayer like this, Jesus, I'm giving you my life today. I pray, God, that you would forgive my sins and come into me and make me a new person. Start from the inside out, God, and do something great. I desire your presence in my life, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. God, thank you for this book, this word of God that brings comfort, that reminds us that we're never alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.